Let's turn again to Matthew chapter 6. You may find it helpful to have Matthew 6 in front of you. I'll read to you verse 9 again. Matthew 6 verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I don't often preach away from Loughborough, very rarely actually. I like being at home. Um, And when I do, well, I often find it quite difficult to figure out, what should I preach? Coming to people I don't know? And it needs to be something I'm convinced this church needs. Now, I don't know if some of you know that Steve Philpott is my brother-in-law. So I could get on the phone to him and do a bit of spying on this church, find out what do they want, what do they need, what are his opinions. I thought, that's not a good idea. No, I won't do that. I haven't been investigating this church, but I know the UK needs, and I know God's kingdom needs, churches that regard praying as the most essential and powerful thing they do. So, however little I know about this church, I know that. I know that need. I know that we need Christians who don't just say some prayers, but really seek and know God as they pray, and those prayers make a difference, not just saying some prayers. To put it another way, churches tend to be like the society they're in. That's been true across the world, across history, sadly. Churches tend to be like the society they're in. What is the biggest characteristic of our society? Now, that's a bit of a difficult question. There's probably multiple answers to that, and we could have a controversy about it. But here's one of the biggest, anyway. Secularism. We live in a very secular society. Now, you might say, what what does that word mean? Secular? Well, it's basically this. You can believe in God. That's fine. Believe in God if you want to, but he isn't relevant to daily life. So keep him out of the workplace and politics and so on. Yeah, fine for you to believe in him, but that's just your private belief. He's not relevant to daily life. Us humans are, for practical purposes, on our own, dependent on ourselves. That's our society's attitude, and that gets into the church. And so more importance is often given to our plans than praying to God to work. In church, more attention and effort often goes on What are we going to do than on asking God to do something? How's that going to be put right? How's it going to be put right? Well, we don't need fancy techniques. We don't need to go on a retreat and learn from the great prayer warriors, although it might be helpful. We don't need to. We don't even need to understand the mystery of how does prayer work when I'm praying to the God who already knows everything? We simply need to believe in our Father in heaven. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, and his prayer started, our Father in heaven. And I think there's nothing more important or powerful for shaping our prayers than getting this, our Father in heaven. So my plan today, both morning and evening, is to be learning from the Lord's Prayer, and this morning it is simply to take that first phrase and go through it word by word, our Father in heaven. Simple plan. Let's get on with it. First of all, our. Let's just take that first word, our. Now, children, I hope the children are going to keep listening. 
Hope you're going to manage to listen. I'll try to keep you with me. Children, the church I'm part of is next to a school, a primary school. Last year, I was walking past that school as Class 3BD were going out for swimming lessons. My daughter Leah was in Class 3BD last year. And as I walked past that class going out for swimming lessons, a little voice piped up, Hello, Leah's dad. Then another one, Hello, Leah's dad. And then a whole load of them, Hello, Leah's dad. But only one of them could call me dad. A whole load of them, 29 or however many, could say, Hello, Leah's dad. But only one could say, Dad or my dad to me. You see, that's claiming a particular relationship. Now, this prayer is so familiar to many people, Christian teaching has so influenced our society, thankfully, that we forget how bold and how shocking this claim is. God is our Father. Not just someone's Father, not just any old Father, but our Father. On the 6th of September, 1997, thousands of people said, our Father. Do you know what was happening? 6th of September, 1997. Thousands of people said, Our Father, all at once together. Because millions of people were watching the funeral of Princess Diana. And in it, they said the Lord's Prayer. And presumably, loads of people joined in and said to God, Our Father. But could they truly say it? Could they really claim, God is my Father? Who can claim that? Before we go any further with this phrase, we better get clear on that. Who can claim that? Who can say these words, our Father? What does the Bible teach? If you're not a Christian and you're not convinced that listening to preaching is a worthwhile thing, please have an open mind and at least listen to this bit. Because here is something amazing. All humans were made in the image of God. But that doesn't make them children of God who can call him father. That doesn't come naturally. It only comes by adoption. Let's see an example of this taught in the Bible. It's in so many places. I just want to turn you to one verse. If you've got a Bible, would you have a look at John 1, verse 12? If not, don't worry. I will read it to you. And it's quite short and simple. John 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, that him is Jesus, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave the right to become children of God. When a couple adopt children, well, they're not born into their family, but they now legally become their children. I think that's an amazing thing. They're legally their children. They're not just being looked after for a while. They have the rights of children. And that couple now have the responsibility of parents. And John 1 verse 12 tells us astonishingly, God does that for people. He gives them the rights of being his children, and he takes on the responsibility of being their father. Amazing. How? How does it happen? Well, John chapter 1 is all about God the Son coming into the world. And verse 12 says, he came into the world so we could be adopted. But the Bible also says he came into the world to die. 
How do the two go together? Well, the two most definitely do go together. He came into this world to die. He came into this world so we could be adopted. And as he died on that cross, the true Son of God was abandoned so we could be adopted. When he reached his lowest point on that cross, the worst point of taking our sins, the true Son of God couldn't even say, Father. He couldn't even say, Father. He could only cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he cried out that so that we could say, My Father, my Father, thank you. You'll never forsake me. Amazing. That's how it could happen. Who does it happen for? Who did he do that for? What does John 1 verse 12 say? Have you got it in front of you? It says, for all who received him, for those who believe on his name. Believe on his name means believe who he is. And the two are put as the same thing. If you believe who he is, you will receive him. Believe and receive. They're put as the same thing. You see, if you really believe who Jesus is, he's the saviour. He's the son of God. He's the Lord who ought to be obeyed well, then you'll receive him. Your attitude will be, I trust him because of who he is. And I want to live his way because of who he is. What other way would be worth living? Believe and receive. They're the same thing. And verse 12 tells us amazingly, notice it says, all who have that attitude are given the right, the legal, never-to-be-taken-away right to be children of God. Children, here's something shocking I heard not so long ago. Someone at the church I go to was telling me her dad was abandoned as a baby. In hospital, when he'd only just been born, his mother abandoned him. And all through childhood, and even when he was an adult, and as far as I'm aware, still today, he didn't know who his dad was. But when he was 19, he heard for the first time about Jesus. And he believed him, and he received him, and then he had God as his father. And can you imagine what a joy it was for him? He'd never known a dad, but now he had God as his father. If you're an unbeliever, I hope you realise the Christian good news really is good news. It's not God might give you some good things if you're good enough. Sort of chuck them to you from a distance, like an Amazon delivery man, from a distance. No, it's believe in Jesus. Trust him as your saviour and God will love you so much he'll give you the right to be his child. Okay, let's get back to Matthew 6 verse 9. You see, I've been saying there, then you can call him my father. It's personal. Then and only then you can call him my father. But the Lord's Prayer doesn't quite say that, does it? What does it say? Our Father. Our Father. You see, it's for Christians to pray together. Oh yes, we can and must pray on our own. If you've got Matthew 6, you you could look at verse 6. Verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who sees in secret. Yes, we are to pray on our own. What a sad thing. What a sad thing if a child never spoke one-to-one with her father. 
She joined in family conversations around the meal table, and she seemed most lively when there were visitors around, but she'd got no interest in spending time with her father, just the two of them together. Wouldn't that be sad? A couple of hundred years ago, there was a minister of a church in Dundee, up in Scotland. He was an outstanding example of godliness. His name was Robert Murray McShane. And he said, what someone is on their knees alone before God, he means praying, on their knees, that they are and no more. I'll say that again because it's worth getting. What someone is on their knees alone before God, that they are and no more. Not how they look at church or at work, but just alone before God. That's the measure of your Christianity. We are to pray on our own. But it's very significant that when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he said, our Father. He expected them to pray together. And the first Christians got it. They got it. Because if you read about them in the book of Acts... You keep on reading about them praying together. They keep on getting together to pray. Churches aren't supposed to be just buildings you come to to listen to a talk. Churches are supposed to be families of God's children who love to together speak to their father. Well, I don't know here at Whittlesea what your system or practice is for praying together as a church. I don't know. I don't know what it's like. I know nothing about it. But think about this. Not what, don't think about how well is it going in this church. Think about, do you personally do what Jesus expected and the first Christians modelled and pray together with the other Christians of this church? Do you? Right, we've only had one word so far, our Let's move on to the second word, Father. Father. I was once trying to tell people the gospel. And as I was doing so, a Muslim got talking to me. And the Muslim said, your book, the Bible, is no good. It really isn't a very helpful book. It doesn't even teach you how to pray. What use is a book that doesn't even teach you how to pray? Now, what do you think of that? When he said it doesn't even teach you how to pray, I thought, what are you talking about? The Bible's got a lot about prayer in it. How can you say it doesn't even teach you to pray? What nonsense. I didn't say that to him, by the way, but I thought it. Now, it made more sense to me, what he said made more sense to me, when I discovered later the Muslim approach to praying. The Muslim approach to praying is, you are told exactly what words to use in which situations. In this situation, say these words. They even have a prayer to say for when you've gone to the toilet. When you've gone to the toilet, say these words to pray. It's, it's, as, it's as spelt out as that. Now, yes, if you expect prayer to be like that, yes, the Bible doesn't teach you how to pray in that sense, of telling you these are the words in this situation. You see, that is prayer like putting money in a vending machine. Children, do you know what a vending machine is? It is this machine that has got cans of drink and packets of food and you put the money in and you press the button and out comes the food. You want a Mars bar? Put the money in and out it comes. Not got the money? No good talking nicely to the machine. It's just not, you've got to have the money. There's no other way around it. 
Now, so much religion treats God as a vending machine. And, and that's that Muslim's way of praying, was treating God as a vending machine. Get the right words, out comes what you want. Jesus says, here's the most important thing to know about praying. It's speaking to a person. It's a personal interaction. It's not like putting money into the machine, put the words into God, out comes the product. It's speaking to a person. Do you pray like that? With awareness, you are speaking to a person. And at that moment, at that very moment, he's listening to you. Now, of course, Jesus doesn't just say you're speaking to a person. He says you're speaking to your father. What does that mean? Your father. Well, of course, I I hope many of you realize that is a subject for many weeks. Uh, That would take an awfully long time to cover that. So let me just give you a little flavor, just a little flavor. It means he loves you. Psalm 103 says, as a father has compassion on his children. The word is for a a love that, that even moves you physically. So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. If, sadly, you didn't have a loving father, I expect you still know that fathers ought to be loving to their children, and God certainly does. Here's another thing it means. It means God provides for you. Even if you just look at the next chapter, chapter 7, verse 9, it's all about, look, if even a father who is a sinner provides for his children, how much more will your father in heaven provide? But remember, he provides as a father. That does make a big difference. He provides as a father. Imagine you walk up to a vending machine, and if you put the right money in, if you put the right money into that vending machine, it will give you a Boost Bar, a Snickers, two cans of Coke, and a packet of peanuts. Even if you were diabetic, very overweight, got a nut allergy, and you've just eaten your dinner. It will still give it to you if you put the right money in. Would a good father... No, a good father wouldn't give you those things if you were that person. You see, God provides us a father. And he gives... Well, he's not like a vending machine. He'll listen to you. He enjoys giving good gifts. He enjoys giving what you ask for. If it is what he knows you need and will be good for you. So that links to the next one, that God is a father means he knows best. It means he knows best. I'm thinking of Hebrews 12, verse 7, where it says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? God being a father doesn't mean life always goes smoothly, but it means we have someone in control who knows best. Children, I wonder if you've heard of John Newton. John Newton was a famous, uh, well, he's become famous. He was a captain of a slave ship. He became a Christian. He became anti-slavery. He wrote a really famous hymn, Amazing Grace. He wrote a whole load of hymns, and one of them was this. It says, 
I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace. I ask the Lord, I want to grow as a Christian. And then the rest of the hymn describes how God answered that prayer. By giving John Newton a whole load of difficulties. And he actually found it very painful. A whole load of troubles. Because, uh, not because God's like a vending machine who will automatically give what we ask for, even if it's bad. No, but because as a father, he'll give us what is best, even if it's difficult. Okay, that's just a little bit of, of a massive subject. What does it mean for God to be father? But there, these two words, our father, I reckon they are the biggest incentive to pray. The biggest encouragement to pray. Christian brothers and sisters, God knows you. And he loves you. And he has permanently committed himself to you. And he enjoys giving what is best to you. And he wants this to be a relationship where he hears from you. Are you making good use of that? Right, we've got two more words. I'm going to be much more brief on the next two words. In heaven. In heaven. What does this mean? It doesn't mean that God is far away, wherever heaven is. Acts 17 says he's near to us. It doesn't mean he's restricted to one place. House arrest in heaven. No, Psalm 139 says he's everywhere. What does it mean? It means he's high above us. That's the main thing it's getting across. He is high above us. In other words, it's telling us his greatness. Psalm 139 says, our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. It's a measure of his greatness. It means he's all-seeing. You want to have a good view? Where do you get? Somewhere up high. I don't know if that's possible in the fens, but uh, that's what you need to do. Get somewhere up high and have a good view. Psalm 33. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. Okay, so it's telling us his greatness. He's different from us, above us, and he's all-seeing. Now, how should that make you feel as you pray? A bit trembly, I would think. A bit intimidated? Yes, that's right. Deep respect, of course. Reverence. All carelessness and casualness banished. Now, that doesn't mean you've got to be really formal and you've got to use some special prayer-like words and you've got to put on a praying tone of voice. It doesn't mean that. That's nonsense. But surely we can't be casual and laid back about speaking to God in heaven Can you? This is why we started with Isaiah 6. I hope you remember it. I purposely started with it for this. As you pray, do you remember, I'm speaking to the one on the throne with the angels around him, who even the angels cover their faces. In heaven should also give us confidence as we pray. There is nothing we can talk to him about that he doesn't know about or that's out of his reach. We can pray with such confidence and freedom. In fact, we can bring to him anything that concerns us. Think about it. He's a father, so he's interested in his children. 
there are not any of your concerns that he's uninterested in. He's not a vending machine. So don't worry, your prayer won't backfire on you if you get it wrong. It's not money in a vending machine, it's a father who cares. And he's in heaven. There is no way you're going to ask anything too hard for him. So how do you treat God when you pray? How do you treat God when you pray? Here's a little test that I find helpful. Just a little test. What do you do if the phone goes when you're praying? If the phone rings when you're praying, what do you do? I think that's quite a good little test. Stop the prayer, cut off in midair almost, as if you weren't speaking to a person. You're praying. Sure, have you all had this? Probably most of us have had this, haven't we? You're praying. Well, I better answer that. It might be someone important. It might be something important. Hey, could it be someone or something more important than the one you're speaking to already? Could it? Now, I am not saying it is a sin to answer the phone when you were praying. God is a kind father, and he understands us. But I'm just asking the question to get you thinking. Do we pray with awareness, I am at this moment speaking to the one in heaven? How much awareness of that do you have? Our Father in heaven. We've just done the first four words of the Lord's Prayer, that's all. Simple phrase, probably you knew it already. But I really want to just get it into us. So every time we pray, we remember our Father in heaven. To pray rightly, you don't need anything complicated. You don't need a... It's good to have a great grasp of theology, but you don't need that much to pray. You need to be trusting Jesus, and then God is your Father. And you need to keep aware of this. I am speaking to my Father in heaven. There could be no bigger incentive to pray than that. Let's pray for that now. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, please help us to take in more and more what it means that you are our Father, that this is personal, that we're speaking to a person not just thinking to ourselves, not just meditating, not just engaging in a spiritual exercise or discipline, but speaking to a person and the person who's adopted us and is in heaven on the throne and not on a level with us. Please, Father, help us to take it in and then use joyfully and confidently this great privilege. And if there are any here who haven't been adopted by you, please, may they see... What amazing good news this is. How desirable this is. In fact, it's a necessity because outside your family is such a bad, dangerous place to be. And may they believe in the Lord Jesus and receive him and be adopted. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.